Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We've been working our way through Mark and we've come finally to the end of chapter 2. We've been at it all year, <laughs> why not? It's, it's great. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're about one and a half years into the, the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And it's from this point forward where things really, really start to ramp up, uh, not just in a ministry sense, but in, in, uh, in the way people are starting to react to, to Jesus. Um, and I think in next week's story, things really start to get really hot. Um, from, from this point forward. And after we've had a look at today's passage, you're going to start to understand why, uh, hopefully. Um, we are going to dive really deeply into the Word of God today, so I hope that's okay. I'm, actually, I shouldn't be apologising for it, but um, if you've got your Bible, get it out. We're going to read uh, through a lot of passages of Scripture this morning because I really feel that we need to get our heads around a subject that often we just... I think, take for granted, and perhaps, as I have over the course of my Christian life, uh, not fully understood because it's not really been fully explained to me, and there are a lot of subjects like that in the Christian walk, aren't there? So I'm hoping that today will be a real blessing um, and that it will be a challenge to you as it has been to me. We're in Mark chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 23, and uh, we're just going to get straight into it um, because we've got a fair bit to get through today. Um, And that's going to be great. So Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. Uh, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of the Lord during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so the Son of of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What an interesting passage. As Doug mentioned uh, last week, I think it was, uh, we're in, this is the fourth story in a series of five where there's growing, uh, not just growing awareness of who this Jesus is, but what he's teaching. And there's also growing uh, discontent from the religious leaders about what he, some of the things that he's saying. Uh, some of the crowd are a bit nervous about what he's saying, but the religious leaders especially are starting to really hone in on on who this Jesus is and the words that he's saying and, and the implications of what he's, he's getting at as he speaks. And this passage really become, starts to be, be the pointy end of that. Um, and next, next week, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it'll be really full on. But before we go any further this morning, it's important for us to understand exactly what is in question here. And in order to fully understand Jesus' response, uh, we need to understand uh, the accusation that's being made and where it's coming from. And the first observation that we make when we look at this passage is that the Pharisees are not actually accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. They're accusing his disciples of breaking the Sabbath rules. And by doing that, really what they're doing is they're challenging Jesus um, to either condemn the deeds of his disciples or to condone them. 
Now, if he condemns the deeds of his disciples and it kind of weakens his position as a rabbi because he's allowing his guys to walk around doing what's not right, and of course the, 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 the religious leaders will just wipe him off as, a, as, a, as not genuine. But if he condones the deeds of his disciples, then what he's doing is he's opposing the Pharisees' authority and their interpretation of the law. So actually it's a trick. It's one of those examples in the Gospels where the religious leaders are trying to get Jesus to say something and it doesn't matter how he answers, he's in the wrong. And they do that on a number of occasions. They were trying to justify their position and help build their case against him. So we need to understand what's going on here. And in order to do that, we need to ask a couple of questions. The first question is this, what is the Sabbath? And why is the picking and eating of grain forbidden? Now, in order to do that, we need to come over here to our Bible timeline, our story of God, because today what we're going to do is we're going to start here in Genesis and we're going to work our way systematically through the whole Old Testament Lucky there was only some announcements, hey? We're going to work our way through the whole Old Testament to get an understanding of what it is that's going on in our passage. Now, I'm going to do that really quickly, so don't, don't panic. And we're going to have to work pretty quickly to get through this. Um, so I hope you can keep up. I'll, I'll try and be as succinct as I can. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means literally to cease, to end, and to rest. But to fully understand the origins of Sabbath, we need to go right back to Genesis. And have a look on the screen, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, right at the very beginning of God's story. And so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested or ceased from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. A couple of important things to notice here, just quickly. Notice that there's no commandment here. The seventh day is not even called the Sabbath yet. But it is set apart. God declared it holy, which means he sanctified it from the other six days. And it is assigned a special significance because he said it was, what? Blessed. When God blesses something, that means it's important. And because he says it's blessed, it is. And that's just how God works. So that's important for us to remember as we move forward this morning. This, this act of God resting on the seventh day and declaring it holy is the basis for all subsequent, all subsequent commands relating to the Sabbath that are about to come through the rest of the Old Testament. Israel, national Israel, was to treat the seventh day as holy because God had done so and declared it so. And that's, that's really important. Let's jump across to Exodus chapter 16. Look, we're already two books into the Old Testament, isn't that great? And the background of this story is that been, the Israelites have been in um, Egypt for 400 years. God has delivered them through, through Moses and Aaron, and now they are wandering in the wilderness, they're making their way to, to Mount Sinai. So they've crossed over the Red Sea, and, and the people were, were whinging and groaning that the food was better in Egypt, so wouldn't they have been better off there? So God undertakes to, to provide for his people by feeding them, 
So in the evening, he provides quail so that they can have meat to eat. In the morning, he provides manna, which I guess is like bread of some sort. And he does that for, for, for most of the time that they're wandering in the wilderness. But he says something really interesting. He says on the sixth day, make sure that you collect twice as much because I'm not go- there's not going to be any on the seventh. You don't need to go out and collect it. And that's what he said to them. So we pick the story up in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 27. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. It is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so that there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick food up on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. And interestingly, uh, the food that they did collect, if they kept it for more than 24 hours, went rotten. But on the day that they picked it up on the sixth day, it didn't go rotten a day later. So God not only provided a lot of food for two days, he preserved it for them, which is really cool, I think. This passage is the first time in the Bible that the word Sabbath is used. And it's also the first time in the Bible that Israel is commanded to observe a Sabbath practice of any kind and it's specifically related note to resting from the work of gathering food in other words God is providing you don't need to work to provide for yourself what else is really interesting in this passage in my mind is that it's the first time that we see God setting a seven-day pattern for his people see the Egyptian calendar was a 10-day calendar a 10-day week. Did you know that? It was a 10-day week. And so, in essence, God is reordering time for his people in accordance with his original plan. This one day of rest out of seven was a gracious gift to his people because they had spent 400 years as slaves labouring non-stop for the Egyptians. A gracious gift. But all this was in preparation for what was about to happen in about six or seven weeks' time. And now we come across to Exodus chapter 20, a passage that we probably all know very well if we've read the Old Testament at all. Uh, It's the giving of the law and in particular the Ten Commandments. And of course, we're going to focus on the fourth commandment, the commandment regarding the Sabbath. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy or he sanctified it. Two important points. Firstly, the word remember. The word remember instructs the Israelites to look back. Look back, recall the reason for the Sabbath day rest. God himself had set the part a day, blessing it and declaring it holy. And he gave the day as a gift to his people so that they might rest from their work just as he had rested from his. But the most significant point to kind of consider from this passage, I believe... Uh, can be found in verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath. Why? What's the purpose? Remember to observe the, uh, the Sabbath by 
It's not there. No wonder you're not reading along. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. It's not just remember to observe the Sabbath. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it set apart, by keeping it holy. And that's really important because the purpose for ceasing from work for one day was to allow the people time to actually uh, not just enjoy rest, but to actually enter into it, to participate in the rest that God was giving them as a gift. For what purpose? So that they might remember God and enjoy the gift of rest and rejuvenation. Let's move across to Exodus chapter 31. I told you we'd fly through it. We're still only in the second book of the Old Testament. Let's see how we go. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 12. Um, and here we, we have a passage of Scripture where God is kind of defining or clarifying and, and building on the laws that were given at Sinai. And this is what we read in Exodus uh, 31 verse 12. The Lord gave, then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy, who sets you apart, who sanctifies you. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day must be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. Nothing like underlining something twice. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. Now, this passage of Scripture, and I won't go into this in great detail, but this passage of Scripture is actually written in a specific format called a treaty or a Far East treaty, which was a kind of a legal way of writing a covenant, which, which really meant this, that when a king or a lord, or in this case God, uh, makes a covenant with someone, he, he is the one with the most power, so he makes the covenant, but it's conditional on both parties keeping it. So God is faithful. He will never break his side of the deal. But he's inviting national Israel to keep their part of the deal because attached to it is a whole heap of blessing and promise. And there are a number of different covenants that God makes using this kind of pattern. It is a permanent sign of my covenant for the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. A couple of things to notice from this passage. Firstly, the phrase, my Sabbath day. Have you ever noticed that before? This is my Sabbath day, God says. Reiterating the fact that the Sabbath rest day was God's day given to the people for their benefit, for their blessing, as a gift. Notice also that it's to serve as a sign of God's covenant between me and you, a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. So it's specific. It applies to Israel. A day of rest was one of the things, amongst others, that set them apart or sanctified them against all the other nations. And there are a number of other things as well. We maybe look at them some other time. Notice also that it's a permanent sign for all future generations, but of course attached to that is this covenant agreement, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Think about that for a moment. 
God is setting up a deal. A deal is probably not the right word. A covenant agreement with his people. Keep the Sabbath because it's a sign of what I am doing with you. I am setting you apart. I am making you a holy people. And this is one of the signs for all time that this is my promise to you. And it's a gift. It's a beautiful gift. This last point is really important because it reveals a second purpose or another purpose for Israel's Sabbath observance. It was to teach them about sanctification. And in particular, their sanctification or their being made holy by God. And just as God had uh, kind of set the seventh day apart from the other six at creation, he was setting his people apart after delivering them from slavery in Egypt. Do you see the connection? God set the Sabbath day apart and declared it holy, and now he's setting his people apart and declaring them holy, and the two are connected. It's a sign. Let's come across to Deuteronomy chapter 5 often called the reiteration of the, the commands or the second giving of the, of the commands. Um, and they're a little bit further along in their journey now. Um, God has instituted a number of practices that they need to do in order to, to find uh, righteousness um, and to be declared holy. And so now that it's kind of being reiterated. Uh, see if you notice any difference here between this giving of the command and the first at Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen, your donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. By the time we get to Deuteronomy, we begin to see a subtle shift in the meaning of the purpose of the Sabbath keeping. So all of the above still applies. It's still all right. But in this reiteration of the command, there's an interesting addition. Notice verse 14. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. In the first giving of the law, they were simply told that they must stop working as you do. So no one is to work. But in this giving of the command, there seems to be an implication that not only must they not work, but they must participate with you in the rest and all that it represents. It's a subtle change, but it's very important. You see, in Exodus, everyone must cease working on the Sabbath, including the servants and the animals. The reason giving that is that on the seventh day, God rested from his work of creation, blessing the Sabbath day and setting it apart as holy. But in Deuteronomy, the servants are to be included in the rest. The reason given, verse 15, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and his powerful arm. In the first giving of the fourth commandment, Israel was instructed to imitate God in his rest. But in the second giving, Israel is instructed to imitate God in his redemption and in his grace and in his compassion and in his mercy. The second doesn't supersede the first. Both are true 
And so now we have a clearer picture, a sharper picture of what Sabbath rest meant to national Israel. The purpose of the Sabbath was to set aside a day to remember God, to worship him and to imitate his character. And this is when we actually first get a glimpse in the scriptures, I think, of this idea of what it actually means to worship God in spirit and truth. The ritual of Sabbath keeping was important and it served as a constant reminder to the people. But as far as God was concerned, the purpose for Sabbath was far more important. And that never changes all through the story of God. He wants his people to be a reflection of him. By the time we get to the prophets, a few hundred years, several hundred perhaps years later, here, and in particular we're just going to focus on Jeremiah, but we could pick any one of them because there were prophets speaking into the, uh, into the, into the uh, people of Judah, into the people of Israel. But by the time we get to the, the prophets we begin to see some serious problems developing regarding Sabbath worship and how Sabbath days were kept. And God spoke specifically through the prophet Jeremiah on one occasion about the abuses of the Sabbath, especially as it related to the city of Jerusalem. A commercial enterprise was taking place in Jerusalem um, on the Sabbath. Goods were being transported in and transported out of the city seven days a week. And they weren't resting from their ordinary work. They were just going through the ritual, the Sabbath ritual. But they'd forgotten the purpose. And so God spoke to the people through Jeremiah. Because you see, God had promised to bless Jerusalem as a city if the people kept the Sabbath. He specifically said that. But to destroy the city if they refused. And ultimately, that's what happened. Israel's refusal to keep the Sabbath holy was a major factor in their going into captivity when the Babylonian Empire turned up. The ritual of Sabbath keeping was beginning to have more important than the purpose of Sabbath. Mercy and compassion for people was taking second place to profiteering and business and and corruption, not just in the marketplace but in the temple as well. You see, God wanted more than anything else for his people to be a reflection of him, of his character, his mercy, his grace. The Sabbath day was always meant to be a symbol, a sign of God's love towards his people. In return, he wanted them to acknowledge him. In return, he wanted them to acknowledge this gift that he'd given them in such a way that it would not only be a blessing to them, but to others. But ultimately, that's not what happened. And by the time you get to the 400 years of God's silence between the Old and the New Testament period, the religious leaders had set about defining um, and regulating every single aspect of Jewish law, life and culture. They developed numerous laws, which were passed down first in an oral tradition and then collected into vast volumes of work. In short, what they did was they took God's law, which was given as a guide to holy living, right worship, and as a blessing to God's people and those around them, and they developed a complex and confusing system of their own rules and regulations, their own laws, that was oppressive and legalistic. And this was especially true for Sabbath-keeping laws. 
Jewish rabbinical tradition listed 39 categories of deliberate activity that were forbidden on the Sabbath day. 39, no less. Basically, any activity that contributed to personal profit or gain were forbidden. Let me give you the 39 categories. You ready? It's a mouthful. Ploughing earth, sowing, reaping, binding sheaf, threshing, winnowing, selecting grain, grinding grain, sifting grain, kneading dough, baking dough, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, flaying, tanning, scraping hide, making hide, cutting hide into shape... Writing two or more letters, erasing two or more letters, building, demolishing, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire, putting the finishing touch on any object and transporting an object between private and public domains or, if you're in the public domain, over four cubits. What the heck is four cubits? (laughs) I'll tell you. It's the length from the tip of your finger to your elbow. Don't carry anything further than that. If you're in the transport business, you better have long arms. But what about picking grain and eating it? Was that forbidden? Well, not according to Torah law, not according to Mosaic law. The Lord did make it clear that the Sabbath day was to be kept holy and then on it no work was to be done. But the principle is this, and we've seen it a number of times in the passages that we've looked at, that the day was to be set aside as a rest day from ordinary work. To remember God. Ordinary work is that work which goes on in the first six days of the week. So if you're a farmer, you're farming work. If you're a businessman, then the business that you run. If you're a fisherman, then it's fishing. You, you know, that which is normal for your week. But the Jewish legalists had a passion for definition. And so they asked, what is work? It just gets better. And all kinds of things were classified as work. And here's just one example of how to define work. To carry a burden is to define work. But now we have to define what a burden is. And this is how they did it. See, apparently it was very simple. A burden was any food equal in weight to a dried fig. (laughs) Or enough wine for mixing in a goblet. Or enough milk for one swallow or enough honey to put on a wound, or enough oil to anoint a small part of the body, or enough water to moisten the eye, or enough paper to write a customs house notice on, or enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet, or enough reed to make even a pen. That's what a burden was. And there were more and more and more, because once you define one thing, you need to define the next, and then the next, and then the next. And it was never ending. The scribes spent countless hours arguing whether a man could or could not lift a lamp from one place on the Sabbath. They spent countless hours arguing uh, whether a tailor committed a sin if he went out with a needle stuck in his coat, because that's carrying a work tool. They spent hours debating whether a woman might wear a brooch or false teeth, or even if a man might go out on the Sabbath wearing false teeth or an artificial limb. Or even if a parent might on the Sabbath pick up their child. Could it get any more ridiculous? Some mums over there going, yes. (laughs) But could it get any more ridiculous? That's 
that's my opinion. I don't mean any insult to the Jewish community there. But that's what they did. That's what they did. And so they asked the question, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Or in other words, why are your disciples selecting grain and harvesting it? Jesus knows exactly, he knows exactly what they are trying to achieve with this line of questioning and he skillfully steps right around the question, around their trap and confronts them with a challenge of his own. I love the way he operates. (laughs) I love the way he operates. He steps right around the trap and proposes his own question or his own challenge. And actually, Matthew's account of this interaction is a little more helpful for us, I think, because it contains a little more detail. Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 to 7. Oh, good, we've got it. Uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law that Moses and the priests on duty in the temple... Sorry, and haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. When the Pharisees accused Jesus of, uh, when they accused his disciples of of, of picking and and harvesting and eating grain, he reminded them of a story from the Old Testament where David and his men were once in need of food and were given the consecrated bread to eat. And you can find that story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, which technically was breaking the law, technically, but there was a greater need. But what does David and his men eating consecrated bread and Jesus and his disciples picking and eating grain on the Sabbath have in common? And you and I might be forgiven for thinking uh, or for, for missing the connection. But trust me, the Pharisees didn't miss it at all. They knew exactly what Jesus was getting on about. It's painfully clear to them. The consecrated bread had served a practical need to God's anointed, who was David, and his men. Here's that word again. God's anointed, God's set-apart one, God's holy one. The consecrated bed served a specific need in a time of need. In the same way that the grain served a practical need to God's anointed, Jesus, and his followers. Do you see that? David and his men had not actually sinned by eating the bread and neither were Jesus' disciples acting sinfully by picking the heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath. And don't miss the implication of Jesus' claim here because it's big. By comparing himself to David in this situation, he is claiming that he is anointed or the anointed one of God in the line of David. That's a big statement and they didn't miss it at all. In fact, if you read between the lines, they didn't say anything. It was silence. You could hear the crickets, you know. But Jesus doesn't stop there. As if to add salt to the wound, Jesus then reminds the Pharisees that even the temple priests were allowed to work on the Sabbath. And in fact, they worked even hard on the Sabbath because there was double offerings to deliver or to prepare. And this argument put the Pharisees in an impossible situation because no one was about to condemn David. No one. No one was going to question his 
anointing by God. So they had nothing to say. And having put them in their place, Jesus concludes by making an extraordinary statement. Let's come back to Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Verse, Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. In contrast to the gruelling daily workload that the slaves in Egypt suffered, the Israelites were commanded to take a full day's rest each week under the Mosaic law. Pharisaical law morphed those laws into a burden, adding restriction upon restriction upon restriction beyond what God's laws required. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just a human trait to want to define and to control into box the act of picking grain and eating it as if as they were walking along uh, should not be considered harvesting that's what Jesus is saying it's not harvesting it's not the ordinary work of a farmer it's just some guys walking through a field enjoying the fruits of what God has made grow <laughs> I'm elaborating there the disciples had not broken God's law. They'd only violated the Pharisees' interpretation of it. And that made them really hot. They didn't like that at all. And in fact, Jesus schools them really well <laughs> on the original intent of the Sabbath. But what did, and we'll finish with this, what did Jesus mean when he said, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to put it simply because I'm a simple person. Jesus was proclaiming to the world and especially to the legalistic Pharisees that he was greater than the law and above the law, the Mosaic law, because as God in the flesh, he wrote it. Think about that. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. Jesus is the author of the law. it and beyond it and he is Lord even of it which means he can declare and decree whatever he likes think about that for a moment who Jesus really is and what he's saying here but he goes even further and again we refer to Matthew's account Jesus declares that one greater than the temple is here. Do you know who he's talking about? Who? Himself. He's referring to himself. Jesus is not only the fulfillment of all that the law and the temple and the sacrificial system represent, he is in fact our Sabbath rest. How good is that? He's our Sabbath rest. Jesus, get this. Jesus is the ceasing of all the work required to be sanctified. He is the end of the works required to find justification before God. He is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is the ceasing of all work. Because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross and through His resurrection, we no longer have to work at law-keeping to please God. 
in order to be sanctified in His sight. Jesus was sent so that we might rest in God and in what God has given us. Does that mean that we should do away with the Old Testament and all its laws and regulations? Of course not. That's ridiculous because they're instructive and they point us towards a better way. And when we understand the one, we can fully understand the other. In fact, I'd go far as to say is you can't understand this one till you've understood that one. And we do that in sync. We are in Jesus Christ to live our lives under a new covenant. Jesus alone satisfies the requirements of the law. He alone provides the sacrifice that atones for sin. There is no other Sabbath rest beside Him. I have nothing else to say (laughs) except to invite you just to reflect on that this week. And I'm going to set you some homework. I hate (laughs) even even the word makes me stutter. But we're not just we're not just we're not just students of His Word today. We need to be students of His Word every day. The Holy Spirit doesn't just show up and teach in truth on a Sunday. He wants to teach us in truth every day of the week. And in fact, I'm going to go as far as to say that every day is a Sabbath day with Jesus. So let's enter into His rest every day. And the homework is this. And, and I'd love if some people would come and reflect back to me what they discover this week because that means I've learned something from you and that's what a community of learning is all about. Go and read and meditate on Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Read it every day of the week. Read it in the morning, read it in the evening. Think deeply about what it's saying, especially in the context of what we discovered today and in the context of our story in Mark chapter 2. May the Lord bless you as you do that. Just a, a, a quick prayer. I love learning about the names of God because the names of God um, kind of give, give words where sometimes there are no words. Have you ever had that experience? So this morning we call on Jehovah Mekodeshkem. Jehovah Mekodeshkem. The Lord who sets you apart. Jehovah Mekodeshkem. The Lord who sanctifies you. Jehovah Mekodeshkem, the Lord who makes you holy. Father, we come to you this morning. Perhaps we need to confess uh, misunderstandings or bad practice or whatever it is that has confused us about what it means for Jesus to be our Sabbath rest. But Lord, help us to enter into that, not just today, but every day of the week, so that we might fully benefit from the blessing that you intend as we worship you all the time. Not just on one day, but all the time. And we thank you for your word, which teaches and edifies and builds us up. We pray that you'd seal it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.